Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. Here, an MLB draft preview, uh, actually with DJ Spillick, the director of amateur scouting. As always, I am Jeremy Taché, your co-host, joined by Craig Mish, and we're just welcoming you guys in, um, hoping that we can be a bit of a reprieve from a bit of the heaviness going on um, around our country today. So as you listen to this this episode, uh, we hope that you're doing safe and at home, feeling healthy with your families um, and looking forward to a baseball season that hopefully is coming up soon. And we're going to get into a little bit of that here. Uh, Craig, how have you been over the last month and a half or so where we have not had an episode? Wow, it's been that long. Yeah, it does, it does feel like a long time. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, for, for me personally, and for for my life, I would say that everything has been okay. I would say mm. that it's been a it's been different. It's been challenging being at home all this time. I have personally not done very much except for go food shopping. My family has just taken the position at this point to, you know, sort of wait things out a little bit longer. Hmm. But, I, but I do think that there's a chance that that will change for us soon. But for the time being, we do have two little kids and, um, you know, we're just trying to exercise it. You know, probably we're probably overly cautious, but that's just kind of the tact that we have chosen to employ. Um, I, I've said this before on my show on Sports Grid, which you can watch every day from 11 to 1 uh, on, uh, on various <laughs> apps. Just uh, follow me on Twitter and you can see those. And um, I've returned for Sports Grid to, uh, for another year, so I will be with them. Uh, here hey, happy to hear that. Twenty as well. Um, yeah, and and so I would say that it's been very difficult not having baseball for me because it's something mm. that I love to do, and I very much enjoy and am honored to be a member of the media, and I'm hopeful that things will be able to get worked out. If you're looking for me to be an insider on this particular situation, all I can tell you are some of the things that have been told to me as far as the negotiations that have gone back and forth. But to be perfectly candid on some of those things, I don't have the in-depth knowledge of being part of those meetings. And as soon as the meetings aren't over, apparently I'm not one of the media members that's getting leaked all the information to. That's just, unfortunately on this particular situation, it, it, it is just not me and I'm following along with a lot of you, but I certainly get texts immediately from dozens of players and executives immediately after this is over uh, asking me what I think, which is kind of humbling. So what I think is at this point, as we are recording this episode, which may be irrelevant in a day or two, so we'll get to our interview right. very quickly because that's a lot more relevant, having DJ Spillick telling you what the Marlins potentially are going to do in the draft, is I do think there will be a baseball season. I do think it will be a shortened season. And I think that simply put, this is all negotiation. That's all this is. It's mm -hmm. unfortunate to have this played out so publicly. I believe that the owners and the players should have known this and should have considered this, that this world of Twitter is a lot different now than it was in 1994. I've said this on many interviews previously. In 1994, what we did is we went about our business. We weren't sitting at home during a pandemic. And we turned on the TV at six o'clock and watched ESPN because that was the only thing happening in 1994. And we watched mm -hmm. Donald Fear tell us what the update was. Now we get them every second. Baseball should have known this. The players should have known this. And it's constant. Guys are going on Twitch talking about the situations. And nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to hear millionaires and billionaires bickering over mm -hmm. money. Uh, and that's the unfortunate part of this. I personally would prefer, have preferred all of this to be done in private, but I completely get that uh, the people who are reporting on the game 
this is their job and, and I would be doing the same thing if I was them, but I'm sick of it and I don't want to hear about it anymore. I just want there to be a season. Um, it, to me, this is, this is just basically uh, a group saying uh, we'll pay you very little. Another group saying we want more. Another group saying we'll pay you a little bit more. Another group saying, I mean, it, it, all this is is negotiation and it's mm-hmm. playing out in public. Inevitably, there's going to be a season somewhere between 50 and 114 games. I think that's perfectly clear. And from my perspective, if the owners, uh, if MLB gets a season in that's less than 80 games, they're the winners of this because essentially that's what right. the players want. And if they, and if they get to shave off 10 games, 10 games this season, uh, you know that saves a lot of money mm. for a lot of owners, and it's and it's not insignificant. There are a lot of Garrett Coles and Steven Strasburgs and Miguel Cabreras and Nolan Arenados making 25 to 30 million dollars a year. And if they play 70 games instead of 80, that's 10 games less that they have to pay. It's a very sad statement that that has what this has come down to. But make no mistake about it, if you're running a business and you find a way that you can save a few bucks, I guess that's just the the scenario that's playing out. So uh, I don't want to do a lot of negativity here. I know a lot Mm. of people are going, uh, you know, going through all of that. But uh, people ask me my opinion. Do I know anything? Well, my, my opinion is there's going to be a baseball season. It's going to be somewhere between 50 and 114 games. I'm probably not telling you anything that you don't know already, <laughs> but that's, that's where I stand with it. And probably in the next 24, 48 hours, 72 hours a week, they're not having a draft next week on the 10th. So the commissioner of baseball can welcome everybody to watching the draft and say, oh, yeah, by the way, we don't know if there's going to be a season <laughs> or not. We're going to have clarity by then. Right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more um, on the way that this is sort of publicly playing out. While it might be more fun for those of us on Twitter to go back and forth with all these ideas, it is just negotiations playing out in the public. It is, uh, and, that's, and that's what's horrible about it. Yep. Um, the, thing, the thing that is the biggest misconception that I can tell you that is out there, and this is not just me as a, as a reporter or a fan of baseball, and I want to be very clear on this statement. The idea that if they do not play a season, and this thing gets banged and there's nothing until next February that baseball mm-hmm. is going to fall apart is an absolute joke. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is an entertainment source. There are still kids all over the world playing little league baseball that are growing up watching their heroes playing baseball. Baseball is not the primary sport in the country anymore. For me, it is for you. It is. And right. for other people, it is football has gone ahead and clearly the NBA has gone ahead. But nothing is going ahead. I mean, there's some people who think, but I don't think anything's going ahead of baseball beyond that point. They are stuck in third. That's where yep. they're going to be unless baseball decides to change its ways and move back up to where it used to be, the national pastime. Mm. But that's where we're at. And next February, people will rally. The spring training will sell out. People will be right. you know, craving baseball again. And the idea is, oh, this is going to be so damaging for the game. Yeah, it's going to be damaging like everything else in the world for five minutes. Right. And then we forget. And then where's the next shiny light? Oh, where's the, where's the next shiny tool? Oh, what can we rip now? What can we find now? Who can we destroy now? That, that's what this is all about. So I would, not, I would not go down that road and fret. Baseball will be fine. Yep. The Royals sold for over a billion dollars. Baseball's in such a bad spot that Kansas City Royals sold over a billion dollars. <laughs> Believe me, baseball will be fine. It's stuck where it is. Right. But it ain't going anywhere, no matter what happens with this whole scenario. So we need to just cut that out. You know, I wish I could relate to your uh, your sentiments about the 1994 strike, but I wasn't born yet. 
Uh, so <laughs> neither were any of the players in this upcoming NFL draft. I'm going to swiftly game. transition. I'm going to swiftly transition just to, to get the shot in there. Uh, so uh, go, talking about this MLB draft, obviously none of those guys were born either. Uh, right. We do talk to DJ Spillett coming up. Is there anything that you'd like the Marlins fans or, or any fan listening to this podcast for that matter uh, to keep in mind as we head into that interview right now here on Slings and Mishes? Uh, yeah, I, I, DJ Spillett is, is very is, – is, is an exceptional speaker. And you could see why a lot of the players in particular that are going to be taken by the Marlins in the later rounds of drafts in the future uh, would be compelled to potentially play in Miami because of, of this man's ability and, and the way that he carries himself. So they have that going for them. Uh, they don't this year because the draft is only five rounds and the convincing is a lot different. And, and as DJ will illustrate coming up in the next interview, they're going to have to go about things in a different way in order to secure more than six players this year. So right. we certainly we'll touch on that. I, I, don't, you know, I don't know how, how that's going to happen, but they're going to certainly try. I'm, I'll make a suggestion coming up in the, uh, in, in the interview as well. But uh, clearly from, from at least an industry perspective, last year's draft that Miami had was pretty much – either number one or number two across the board. And so uh, DJ is a very big reason for that. And, um, and I believe him as an individual has very, very big things coming for him and his career, even beyond mm. potentially what he's doing here with the Marlins, I believe. So he is certainly in baseball a name to watch. But for now, the Marlins are fortunate to have him in a position to be running the draft. And we get into all of the potential names that the Marlins may take yep. and, uh, and sort of everything that's, that's going to be happening. And then obviously, as soon as we know that there's a baseball season and we know how many games and we know all the details of that, can't tell you enough how much uh, we appreciate the support here at Swings and Mishes. But realistically right. speaking, do you really want me to have rants like this every week? saying, why don't they play a baseball season? It's not good for anybody. Exactly. So as soon as we know that it's happening and it's back, Jeremy and I will be back here every single week doing Full our force. episodes on, on the Marlins. But until then, um, I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And, uh, and certainly, you know, we'll be covering the draft from our houses. Next right, week. right. And as you just mentioned, Craig, we, we so appreciate the support of everybody listening. It's such a an honor every time you guys listen, but particularly during these times where you're going out of your way to listen to our podcast in the midst of everything that is going on all across the world. We appreciate you. Uh, we love you. We hope you're doing okay. And we hope you enjoy this interview here on Swings and Missions. And here on this episode of Swings and Missions, we bring in the Marlins director of amateur scouting, DJ Svillick. The draft is coming up next week. It's an exciting time, certainly for the future of the Marlins organization and get a little tip on what may happen on the 10th. We bring in DJ Spillick, who uh, joins us now here on Swings and Missions. DJ, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. As always, how are you? How is your family, by the way? How are you keeping up with everything that's been going on? Thank you for asking, Craig. My family's great. Uh, I think the one thing that I've learned here is, is working out of the house can be a little bit challenging. A seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, and I'm trying to get work done virtually and with meetings and meeting players and so it can be frustrating at times but the family's healthy and you know the work's been challenging and and uh but we've gotten it done and everything's everything's good on, on my end have you been involved in like a zoom call uh, with the organization and one of your kids has like run into the room and said daddy i can't get this channel on or mm -hmm. 
this toy <laughs> is not working uh, like me, like the rest of us. And my, my, my son knocked over the light in my studio during the, during the TV show. I caught it, though. I caught it. And we just kept going. Has that happened? Not, not quite that extreme, but I've had food brought to me. I've had a look at different rocks that have been painted. Uh, a plastic snake crept up on me a few times. So it's been fun and adventurous, but we get it done. We get it done. They don't have, I think you learned that the kids, you, they can, my kids are great. They're well-behaved, they're respectful, but they're, they're still seven and nine. And they just can't quite comprehend that when I'm sitting over at my desk that I'm working and they don't have a filter, so. Yeah, well, rock painting during a pandemic is the hot thing right now, I've heard. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the Last Dance, Michael Jordan, Tiger King, and rock painting. Those are the top three things I think they're doing. <laughs> right, Netflix binge watching. That's, that, that's, well, listen, you may have a new show before this is all over. You never know. Um, all right, so look, I know that you want to get down to business. That's the kind of guy you are. So fine, we'll get right down to business here. Um, the, uh, the draft is coming up, DJ, next week. I know that your team is extremely thorough and, uh, and you and I have spoken previously. And I know that a lot of the work, uh, even before March began for you, uh, you know, was done. I mean, you, you had a lot of that done and a lot of the scouting done. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind, take me back to when everything sort of got shut down and kind of how you assembled your team with all the scouting and everything that you guys had done to that point, and then catch us mm -hmm. up with where you guys are at now with basically about a week to go until the draft. So, yeah, that's a, that's a multifaceted question, uh, and there's a lot that goes into that. I mentioned there was a couple of really good questions on the previous uh, Q&A, and one of the things, and I've echoed this to you before, there's a lot of work that goes into this thing in, in the summer and the fall. And w one of the things I told you in one of our interviews, uh, I think this was last July, was that the 2020 draft was going to be really strong. And I think by all accounts it is. At the very least, it's very deep. So the amount of work that went in in the summer after you and I spoke and in the fall was intense. The meetings, the interviews with players, getting to know them in the winter was intense. And then that set the, that set the table for everything that we accomplished in, from the middle of January up through when this thing got shut down in March. And I'll never forget, I was sitting at Baylor University watching Nick Lofton play and Jimmy Glowinky from Dallas Baptist. And it went from... I think something might happen to completely shut down within hours. I was on the phone with Texas A&M, who I had just seen, and they were literally on their bus getting ready to go to their next series, and they pulled all the players off the bus. So what do we do? Well, there was a, there was a, because we've never faced this situation before, there was, a, there was a time period there where we just sat down and had to assess, okay, what do we do? Put a plan in place. We have to do something. Can't do, you can't do nothing. So we started talking about what do you do when you haven't seen players? What do you do? What kind of players are we going to be comfortable with? Which kind of players are we not going to be comfortable with? And what, you, what we came to, and I mentioned this uh, in the Q&A a little bit ago, certainty and buying what you know. So there's a lot of work that goes on on the backside in analytics. Our, our analytics department does a great job. We've talked about that with Dan Greenlee and, and his staff and Miles, I mean, these guys do a fantastic work. And they are, they're as passionate about what they do with the players as we are when we go out and see players. So that relationship allows you to unearth and uncover a lot of information about players. And it allows you to realize some players we don't have the information on. And at that point, 
you have to just understand what what players you're going to be in play for and what players you're not going to be in play for. And fast forward a few weeks, we didn't know what was going to, how long it was going to linger. We didn't know how long or what the draft situation was going to be. We didn't know if they were going to have a draft. Was it 10 rounds, 20? We didn't know. When they finally came out and made it five rounds, that answered a lot of questions and it eliminated a, a lot of players. Most teams will have six or six to 800 players on their board, somewhere in that realm. Uh, last year, I think we had about 700 players on our board. Well, in a five-round drafting situation, like I mentioned, you're talking about 160, I believe this year it's 161 players will get taken. You're not going to need probably more than 90 to 100 players tops. Mm-hmm. Given some signability concerns, given the, and because of what the NCAA is doing, we want to have a few more players on the board, but the reality is it's probably not going to take much more than 100 players or so to get through this draft. So it really does eliminate a lot of players. and unfortunate i say regretfully eliminates a lot of players because there's some really really good players that have devoted their whole lives to achieving this and becoming a professional player and there's players that exist outside of the top five rounds like the cy young award winner uh jacob Degrom, like paul goldschmidt like matt carpenter there's really good players out there so what we had to do was we once it became a five-round situation we just focused on what we knew, or we emphasized what we knew. And that does not mean, someone asked me there, does this, does this eliminate high school players? Absolutely not. The draft is always going to be more about college players, just because there's more of them. And a lot of the really good college, high school players that we like uh, require a lot of money, and they're going to end up going to college. But it certainly does not eliminate the high-end high school player. The player that suffers here, and I, I mentioned this in the previous Q&A, was a guy like Chris Machma, who we really liked. And we wanted to commit to, and we're so happy that we have a guy like Chris Mockman, our organization, that player becomes exceedingly difficult this year to acquire. So you refocus on the college guys and on the high school guys that you have a lot of information on and you just go from there. A very thorough answer as always from you, DJ. Um, So I I guess this is like a slippery slope type question because Mm -hmm. I know for you, a lot of work goes into the draft. Um, You know, certainly a lot of the focus is on the first round, but as you mentioned with, with Machma and a lot, and you know, some of the other players too, that, that you've been able to accomplish a lot here in Miami. And I know previously with the Yankees, a lot of them come in after the fifth round. So mm-hmm. from your perspective, DJ, um, the question that's been asked to me, does having a five round draft and only a five round draft hurt the Miami Marlins? Would they have preferred to have a longer draft if that's possible. I don't know how it, or if you can answer that question directly for me, but I certainly would love uh, your opinion of that. I'll answer it directly. The Miami Marlins did not want a five-round draft. The Miami Marlins were proponents of a 10-round draft. Um, but there's a lot of forces at play here. Everything, our ownership group understands well, – let me take a step back. Our ownership group has been – a as supportive of an ownership group as you can possibly have and their leadership and their understanding of how we're going to get to where we want to get they they understand it's all about acquiring good players it's the one place not just the Miami Marlins but there's other organizations out there that this is the one place where we can have a real competitive advantage the amateur draft is a great opportunity for the Miami Marlins. The international market 
is a great opportunity for the Miami Marlins. It's the one place where there's a relatively equal playing field. And to watch it go from 10 to 5, to watch it go from 40 to 10, it hurts. To watch it go from 10 to 5, it's not debilitating because we're going to get good players. I have a high level of confidence in our scouts and our analytics department and what the work that's been done that we're going to be able to acquire players. But absolutely, it's not it's – not, uh, it doesn't help that it's a five-round draft. We'll maximize it. Uh, we're highly competitive. We're very thorough. And we're very passionate about what we do. So we will maximize the, f- the six players that we're going to bring in. we got a comp B pick, so we get six players in this five-round scenario. Um, but disappointing, yeah, absolutely disappointing that we can't acquire more players. Because if we can, we can go through a laundry list of players that have been acquired after the fifth round, specifically between five, rounds five and 12. Like right in that window, there's a lot of really good players that come out of there. Championship uh, you know, players, the- impact players. Yeah. You know, DJ, something that, um, you know, for, for those people, you know, one of the quotes that you, that you had uh, recently was that after the fifth round, you don't want to sign a bunch of $20,000 players. You want to sign a mm-hmm. good players for $20,000. Now, I'll, I'll just, I'll give you, you know, my perspective on this and, and I'd, I'd love you to share yours. And then I want to get into some of the individual players here is that, mm-hmm. and maybe it's that, maybe it sounds facetious, but uh, look, the Marlins have certainly extended uh, a helping hand to a lot of the players in the minor leagues. They've shown a commitment to young players uh, with some of the things that have been done within the organization, no doubt. But from a conceptual point of view, if it's, if it's me, and maybe I'm completely off with this, but I, I got to say it. Um, after the fifth round, you're fighting like the NFL does over all of these players and trying to get them to sign for $20,000. Now, some of them won't because, you know, they'll have other intentions. But uh, what, what is your plan to sort of convince these kids to uh, pick the Marlins organization for that same money over another. And then the other thing that I would wonder is that for me, if, if Derek Jeter, the CEO of the company, I don't know if he would get involved, but if he was ever on the phone with any of these kids, I mean, I, I would certainly think that that would be a feather in the cap for the organization that the organization can provide so i mean that's just kind of my outside the box thinking but i love yours yeah our scouts have to know these players that's where it starts that's the foundation they have to know the players they have to know what motivates the players they have to know how the player likes to be instructed they have to know the player's work ethic they have to know what type of culture the player will fit in so once we go through all of that um you, you try to take that information and let the player know that this is a really good fit. I had an interview, Craig. The, Craig, the other day I had an interview with a player, a very, very high-end player. And when I got off – now, this is a player that's going to be drafted. But this will okay. hopefully illustrate the point. This is a player that's going to be drafted exceedingly high. This is probably, probably on day one, and if not day one, right out of the shoot on day two. High-level player. I got off the phone. And the immediate thought and conversation that I had with some of our scouts is this player better go to an organization like the Miami Marlins. He needs the Miami Marlins because of what was perceived from that player, what type of player he is, the information we have on him. Not every organization is equal. We develop players very different than other organizations and trying to identify with those players, what players 
have a better chance with us and, and then conveying that to the player. So that's a big piece of it, you know, helping that player understand what's in his best interest. And then number two, and you make a good point, getting Derek on the horn. You know, uh, we have spent time getting our player development involved. Uh, we, the NFL does a really good job of this. We've interviewed a lot of NFL guys, spoken to a lot of different uh, Marty Wolliver, uh, is my special assistant. He's really well connected in the NFL. And we've talked, to, we've talked to them about how do they utilize their coaches. So that's a route that we've gone. Trying to help these players understand that we've already started to put together an individual player plan for you. Get them on the phone with the people that are going to impact their career seems to be a really big piece of this. So that they know the moment that they step foot into the organization that the major league hitting coach, Eric Duncan, knows their name. That the pitching coordinator, Scotty Aldred, knows their name. Gary Dembo knows their name. And emphasizing to the player how important that is. That you're not coming in as just another player. These, they, you feel connected to the coaches already. So we've tried to do some of that uh, to help, help these players understand how committed we are to them. And that's all you can do. Okay, so um, now specifically, uh, DJ, you know, look, I, I know you have a very big decision to make on the first round, and I think that the names in the first round are sort of, in the baseball community, more commonplace than the rest. And, and that's kind of what happens in a baseball draft, unlike the NFL, is that we know, you know, the top 15, 20, 30, maybe, you know, you know, some people who cover the draft closely, of course, know all of them. But I think the common fan, and most fans who are probably listening to this podcast, they're familiar with Spencer Torkelson and Austin Martin sure. and Asa Lacey. And, and in that order, uh, DJ, seems to be the consensus order uh, as to how the draft potentially could go. Um, Absolutely, specifically, yeah. yeah. Specifically to the names that I, that I just mentioned, um, do you anticipate these mock drafts that have been out and pretty much consensus put uh, these top three picks to be the case? And if you wouldn't mind... Uh, spending a, a minute or two just on these individual players and what potentially they could bring to the Marlins organization. Yeah, um, those mock drafts exist. People make a lot of calls. People have connections, in the, and those mock drafts exist, and they tend to play out. They really do. Sometimes the order is a little wrong. Sometimes other players sneak in there. Um, the thing to remember about this draft, before I get into the players individually, is that the Difference between this year's draft and this and last year's draft is the inter, almost interchangeable nature of the players at the top. Those players, the three players that you mentioned, and there's others, are very, very talented players. And who and why you <clears throat> excuse me, who and why you select them can happen for a number of different reasons. It certainly isn't always this talent over that talent because the talent can change on a moment's notice. They're all exceedingly um, talented players, okay? So it is important to see the difference between last year and this year is that the depth in this draft is, is really, really strong, and it goes deep into the first round. And the other thing I'd like to add to that is that we, as an industry, we put out these mock drafts. <clears throat> the media puts these mock drafts out, and if we all sat around a table and I asked everybody involved, you think this is the right order? Everybody's going to say, yeah, they're going to nod their head. Yeah, this is the right order. And then I say, well, you think in five years, this is going to be the right order? And everybody would probably collectively go, no, we know it's going to be wrong. The order is going to be wrong. 
So then the question becomes, make sure you line them up how you like them. Because we know that with time, the order is going to be wrong. And I have some challenges laid out to our scouts to account for that. But it's important for the Marlins that we line the players up exactly how we like them. Now, the players that you mentioned are, are obviously very, very talented players, and they belong up in that part of the draft. Austin Mark Martin is a fabulous hitter. I don't think you can find anybody that would say he's not. Uh, obviously, Spencer Torkelson, you know, and Asa Lacey, a big, hard-throwing lefty out of, uh, out of Texas A&M, who was one of the, the last guys that I happened to see just by chance. You know, some really good players that I didn't get a chance to see this year. He was one of the, the last really good players that I saw. Nick Gonzalez is an outstanding player. So there's a lot of good players up there. Spencer Torkelson. It's probably about as prolific of a career as you can have. It's serious right-handed power. It's excellent pedigree, excellent makeup. It's above average athleticism. He's a really, really good player, really good player. And I think industry consensus probably does have him up at the top. He's a very good player. Um, there's not many questions about Spencer Torkelson. I don't think the industry has a lot of questions about him. Uh, Austin Martin is an exceptional hitter, almost interchangeable with uh, Torkelson, I think, from industry standards. Some people really like Austin Martin a lot. Um, he's highly versatile, he's athletic, and he can hit. And I think his track record suggests that, shows that, demonstrates that. And then Asa Lacey, there's a lot of good pitching on the board. Asa Lacey, I think the industry, you look at a guy like Asa, and he's big, he's strong, he's got a full arsenal of pitches. And he's continued to refine his craft and throw better strikes over the course of his career. So I think it's understandable that a guy with that type of weaponry and that type of body and that type of pedigree makes his way up into that area as well. DJ, uh, Jeremy here. I, I was just wondering, as you go forward with this draft, as it's just five rounds, and obviously you look to establish depth with this draft with those free agent signings, I'm wondering how this shortened draft may affect what you guys do in the scouting department going forward into next year's draft and beyond and sort of the long-term effects of this shortened draft. You know, you mentioned up at the top of this interview mm -hmm. that, that you preferred a longer draft. So I'm wondering sort of the way that affects what you guys are doing, maybe already as you look forward. One of the things that I touched on, Jeremy, uh, there's a lot of unknowns with that question. But one thing, we always have to look forward. So how, how is the industry changing? I don't think it's any secret that the industry started to change years and years ago. And, and it's for the better. I think as we refine things and it, uh, it helps us be better scouts, um, how the industry has changed. And our scouts know that. Our scouts, we ask them to be very, very proactive. We ask them to continue to grow and take the initiative on a lot of different um, challenges that we that we lay before them and um and they've done that we already have one of the smaller scouting staffs amateur in, in in the game of baseball and we find that we we cover the country like we <clears throat> excuse me we cover the country i think in a in a pretty uh systematic way we're pretty thorough we've got really good coverage um i think the thing that'll change going forward the calendar perhaps can change mm -hmm. quite a bit the use of technology will continue to, to drive some of the things that we're doing, whether it's video or, or a deeper dive into some of the analytics stuff. But we already have a relatively small staff, and I'm very, very proud of the work that our guys have done. And I just anticipate the calendar changing more than anything else.
Well, uh, listen, a very, very thorough and in-depth uh, interview with us here on Swings and Mishes. And you know what? I don't, on this podcast uh, the last couple of years, throw, throw, throw congratulations around a lot. I don't do that. And I try to be as impartial as possible. But DJ, just from an industry perspective, the things that people have said to me about what you've been able to accomplish in such a short period of time and the accolades that you have gotten uh, for the work that you've done uh, in the organization and with the draft uh, need to be mentioned. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't throw that around lightly here on this podcast, but uh, definitely congratulations on all the success that you have had, the kids at the quality of the kids that you have brought into the organization uh, over the last uh, year plus has really been something to see. So um, want to wish you the best in your draft. Most importantly, wish you the best with you and your family and the rock painting. It's going to be uh, you know, I'm sure a very busy time uh, between that and the draft coming up next week. And as always, you're very gracious with your time here with me. So thank you so much again. And uh, my best to you and your family. Good luck next week. Okay. Thank you, Craig. Anytime. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you.